Heavenly Father, we're thankful we can gather our hearts together in this morning surrounding thy word, Lord. We pray that uh, thou would bless us from it, as we've already have been this morning in Bible class, Lord. And we pray that thou would teach us, Lord, work in our hearts, inspire us, Father, and just pray that thy spirit would speak through me, Lord, give me strength, clarity of words, Lord, and, uh, and we pray that thy spirit would work in each and every heart here individually, Lord, however this message uh, may touch the individual needs of each one here, Lord. We ask that be with us and guide us, and be with those who are unable to be here this morning, Lord, for various reasons. We pray that thou bless them, visit them, Lord, and help them feel our prayers as well. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's name, amen. I'd like to turn to the Apostle Paul's first letter to Timothy, in the first chapter, Timothy... First uh, Timothy chapter one. <clears throat> I'd like to read the first uh, seventeen verses. First Timothy chapter one, beginning with verse one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son, in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions, Rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity, out of a pure heart, and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say, nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good, if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for menstealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, that for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which, would, which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> We're reading this uh, letter that Paul writes to Timothy. Um, that he's doing it as uh, unto the commandment of God. He recognizes, as he often does, where he stands and 
uh, in God's sight where he puts God in his life. He always gives glory to God. And um, so this is how he starts out the letter and recognizes the hope in the Lord Jesus Christ is obedient, obedience to the commandment of God. And he shares he's writing unto Timothy. And we know often we read of and talk about how he had such a special relationship with Timothy. He calls him his own son, uh, spiritual son. And we see the mentorship even just in the writing of these letters uh, between Paul and Timothy. And uh, recently back home, uh, went through Titus. And we see a similar, the, the letter to Titus is much shorter. But he also calls Titus his son. And uh, we know that Timothy, um, you know, there's points of Acts where we see that he met and picked up Timothy and where they uh, traveled together. And so it's kind of fun to kind of think of and visualize that mentoring, uh, that relationship that they had. And we can, thinking about that, we see the passion and the care and compassion that Paul has as he's writing this letter uh, to Timothy. And, and it is out of love. It is to give instruction and encouragement. And, um, you know, maybe this can even be encouraging um, side note here, not really part of the message this morning, but an encouragement as well. Uh, as, as I was looking at Titus, it talks about the the older men and the older women to encourage and teach the younger men and younger women. And, um, you know, there's times where I've received letters from others, from those who are older and wiser and have had experiences. Um, you know, and just to encourage that, I think sometimes letter writing probably comes, becomes a lost art, maybe even taking time to make a phone call. Uh, you know, the older ones encourage you to, to can you continue doing that to the younger ones, giving us encouragement and uh, direction and instruction and, and learning from experiences that you've had. So that's an important, can still be an important part of your ministry, maybe, um, you know, as time, as things shift, as, as you get older, those are still important ways that you can encourage and teach. So I'm going to encourage you to do that as, as Paul did here to Timothy. And we see um, how Paul mentions in verse 3 that he had left Timothy at, at Ephesus as he continued on to Macedonia uh, with the instruction that he might charge uh, the people there. We can maybe see what some of the struggles were, that they were um, you know, kind of going away from sound doctrine, so encouraging them to continue on uh, in sound doctrine, not to teach any other doctrine, um, not get caught up in, their, in the teachings that they were doing, their kind of fables, uh, these endless genealogies, it says, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. So looking at kind of just the fact is just kind of taking up time and air and, um, you know, talk about some of these things. There's probably a lot of sitting around, you know, we know there's a lot of philosophizing, if that's a word, back in the day where they sit around, kind of talk about all these different things. And, um, you know, even one that maybe we and, uh, in our circles here can relate to talking about genealogies, which isn't a bad thing to do, but I think we all like to do that, talk about who's related to who and, um, you know, what church they grew up in and where they moved to and, uh, you know, going all the way back to Europe. And, you know, we talk about genealogies a lot. Even our kids now kind of start to say, you know, well, isn't that so-and-so's great uncle? And because they're listening and picking up on these things. So it's not talk about, it's not bad to talk about those genealogies, but I imagine here it kind of became a point of contention on, uh, you know, we know in the scriptures it talks about a lot of lineage and who you came from, what line you came down from. And I imagine uh, there's even some discussion on, you know, who's better than who because of what line they came through and uh, who's allowed to do what and things like that. And 
maybe who's worthy of, um, maybe some were using this as who's worthy of salvation uh, based on what family they came from, what line of wealth they had, and different things like that. And Paul's encouraging Timothy here to not even go down that road. Talking about, you know, when you become, um, when we start talking about the family of God, it doesn't matter your genealogy. The only genealogy in the scriptures that actually matters is uh, the one of Christ. And the only reason it matters is because it was prophesied that he would come from the lineage of David. And it's, it's brought up in the scriptures uh, numerous times. And it's important that that's understood, that that prophecy came true. But any other lineage, genealogies don't matter. doesn't matter, and even today, it doesn't matter where we came from, whether we were raised in the church or not, and, um, and whether you know, we come from a long line of believers or not. It doesn't matter. <clears throat> it doesn't matter where we came from, what our sins were uh, in the past. The only thing that's important is that Jesus Christ's blood that was shed on the cross uh, covers everyone's sin who accept the grace, the free grace of Jesus Christ. So it's important that we recognize that. Uh, we can be thankful, you know, for those of us that have grown up in Christian believing families, we can be thankful for that. It maybe has set us up for, um, uh, you know, more teaching, maybe a better chance that based on what we're being exposed to. But we also have to recognize that during Paul's ministries, Timothy's ministries, they were preaching and spreading the word to many people that did not know Christ. And that is where the opportunity starts for anyone. Or being here today, if, if it would be the first time hearing the scriptures, or whether you've been coming here years and years and have not accepted the call of Jesus Christ, you have that opportunity and, and have, um, it's a privilege to be able to hear the scriptures over and over, to hear the preaching of the word over and over. But as we read in the scriptures, it also could just take one time, one person passing on the road that's preaching the gospel, um, you know, or one person that Paul comes to, or, you know, a vision that was given, or, uh, you know, we were just reading at home recently about um, when uh, Peter and Cornelius had both had experiences that brought them together, and that preaching began to the Gentiles, and how God works in that. And uh, so it's, you know, nobody should be counted out for the opportunity to know the gospel. And, and we should recognize when we have more and more opportunities for ourselves to learn, to, to see what a privilege that is, where God puts us in certain places in our lives. And uh, so here Paul is telling Timothy, you know, don't let people get caught up in these foolish questions, genealogies. You know, the more time that's spent focusing on that, it's taking away time that the word can be discussed, that the gospel can be discussed, that you, know, you could be looking at um, the scrolls and, and sharing what Christ has done in people's lives. So, um, and sometimes for us, that might mean also reflecting what things are distracting us, what things are taking away from time in our conversations with others, where we could be talking about the gospel, could be talking about what Christ did in our lives this last week, or could be reaching out and asking for prayers for where we need help. Uh, in our current state or coming up. So those are things to think about where our focus is. And what is all this for that Paul's telling Timothy to try to avoid these things? In verse 5 says, The end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. To focus on these things, to have this love, this charity, to have this faith that's not distracted by other things, uh, but 
but strengthened otherwise. And then he states simply in verse 6 that from which from these things some having swerved turned aside unto vain jangling. So some have gotten off the path of focusing on these things, of this love, of strengthening their faith. And um, they've, you know, when you think of swerved when you're driving, you, you veer off the path, you swerve away from it. And uh, sometimes it's more drastic and sometimes there's points in your life maybe that you've swerved away from the Lord quickly and sometimes it's a slow, like gradual, maybe not really paying attention. We slowly kind of get off the exit and we're, or, you know, we're not following the Lord and all of a sudden we realize we've driven 50 miles in the wrong direction. And that moment when we realize that, we think, how did this happen? How, what do I need to do now to get back to the direction I was going? Same thing in our spiritual lives. How do we get back on path? And the Spirit, you know, tugs at our hearts to speak to us and says, listen, you're going down the wrong direction. Or maybe our, our fellow believers will tell us, listen, I notice you're, you're kind of heading down the wrong direction. You need to get back on track. So those are um, things we need to be careful of, things that Paul was having Timothy keep an eye out for. Um, and those and also things that we can be keeping an eye out for with ourselves and, and with our brothers and sisters. And to not get into these conversations, this vain jangling, this pointless talking, and these uh, distractions from spiritual gain. And he's, he's talking about this group of people, even in these discussions they're having, that they desire to be teachers of the law, yet understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. So they want to be teachers of the law, they want to focus on the law, the little points of the law, yet they don't really even understand what they're trying to teach, right? And we know some would be harsh, more harsh than others, and... Um, Sorry for referencing Titus so much, but there are, are a lot of parallels here. And uh, even, you know, similarly, Titus 1.16 says, he's talking about the people of the island of Crete. And uh, even some of the Cretans would call other Cretans liars and, and say they're not good people, they're evil. And it says, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and unto every work, good work, reprobate. So wanting to teach the law... Um, Claiming that they, you know, know, profess that they know God, but in their works, they don't really understand. They don't really know God. They don't have that relationship. They don't understand the law. And this verse has kind of um, impacted me as well here in Timothy of like wanting to teach the word, but do we always understand the word? How much time are we putting into understanding the word? Do we know what we're standing for? Do we know what we're pushing for? What we're uh, fighting for? Or are we fighting for it? So, how well do we understand what we're teaching? How much time are we putting into wanting to understand and to be um, a good understanding of it and, and praying about it and how can we teach it to others clearly? So it's uh, something we can ask ourselves. You know, do we know what we stand for? Do we know what we're teaching? Uh, and what kind of, uh, I'm going to say, relationship do we have with the Word? But, you know, it, this verse in uh, Psalms 1-2, I always think of, it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Do we have a delight in the word? Do we um, look forward to reading it? Are we, are we dwelling on it day and night? Or in Deuteronomy 6, how it talks about parents with their children. Are we talking about it day and night? Are we, as we rise up in the morning, as we're walking to and fro, and as we lay down at night, is the word what we're talking about? Are we dwelling on those things and focusing on those things? And how... How can we do better at that? And uh, to the believers, have, 
Have we read through the scripture cover to cover, this book that we base everything on that we do, everything that we teach? How well do we know it? And it's, it's a lot to know. But have you read it cover to cover? And have you done that once, twice? Uh, and if, if you never have, it's, you know, it's a good thing to go through. You know, it would take, it takes a lifetime if you're studying verse by verse and, you know, to go through it. But sometimes even just to, to read through it. So it brings back the memory, things you've learned before. There's things in there. Um, you know, I've, over the last, I don't know, probably 15 years, I've probably read through it maybe four or five times. And there's still things, and we're reading through it, uh, you know, this year, and there's still things that I, I don't remember reading that ever. I don't remember that being in there. And it, and it brings things to your mind in different stages of our life as we read the Word. They impact us differently. Um, you know, even sometimes there's times we'll kind of recognize even watching, you know, certain things on TV or something. Like, you, you think of it a lot differently when you watch it, maybe once you're married, once you have kids. It, you think of things differently a lot in different stages of life and uh, even more so with the Word. The verses impact us at different places in our walk, in our life, maybe different situations we're going through at work that week when we read a verse or at home or with our kids uh, with our our spouses, you know, can impact us differently, and so that's why it's important to always be in the Word, always be reading it. And the the Lord knows, and the Spirit brings certain verses to mind at certain times in our life when we need it. And um, and again, that same verse can impact us differently from year to year, even week to week. So it's important that we we stay in the Word and continue to be reminded of these verses in here, and asking the Lord to apply them to our lives in different ways. And um, here it talks, we're talking about those that are uh, trying to be teachers of the law. It goes further as well as Paul's uh, telling Timothy to kind of be careful because not only do they want to be teachers of the law, but they want to use the law in uh, different ways to, you know, against Christians. We heard this morning in Bible class how there was um, different laws or accusations that they wanted to use against Christ to bring him um, to a death sentence. Right, and sometimes they even struggled with trying to pin different things against them, or they didn't, you know, their own law with how many witnesses they needed would kind of fumble things up, and uh, you know they were making the false accusations, and the false accusations wouldn't even line up all the time. So there's ways that the law is trying to be used against the believers, and um, you know we might think of ways that this happens today as well with believers, how laws can be used against us, or laws can be changed to be used against our faith. And we need to be careful of that. And here it talks about in, in Timothy in verse 8, it says, We know the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, whoremongers, them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So we think of what the law is for. It's, the law is not made for those people that are, that are obedient. And even if we think of our laws, right, you don't get a speeding ticket for going the speed limit in a zone. When you're following the laws, they're not, it's almost, you know, there's no, read for, no need for consequences for those to be brought against you. And if you imagine sometime, if you got pulled over for speeding or 
something and you're going the speed limit, how silly that would seem that I'm writing a ticket, you're going 35 and a 35, right? It was, you're using the law improperly against me. And um, we can see that that's what Paul's warning Timothy of here. They're trying to find ways to use the law against him. And we can read in uh, Galatians 3.24 what the law was for. It says, But wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. The law was to, uh, to keep things in order. To, uh, and we know sometimes it was even to, to show that it was impossible to follow all the specific little tiny laws, the Jewish law and all the practices and customs to be exactly perfect but to show us and prepare and to keep them on track until Christ came and uh, washed away their sins and, and Christ um, giving us, you know, the, um, maybe we'll say the, the Christian practices showing love the Lord your God with all your heart, heart mind, and soul. Love, uh, love your neighbor as yourself and, and giving us... Um, knowing that we can rely on Christ, that if we have that love of Christ, that we rely on his shed blood on the cross for us to cleanse us from our sins. And that's what saves us, not following all these little tiny laws. And when he came, he came and essentially, he became the law. He did away with those, um, those requirements. Even as we read, there's a lot of contention even as we read of with, you know, with the practice of uh, circumcision, we know they talked about that in Acts, and um, you know, some essentially the Jews thought if you didn't go through this practice, that was it. There's nothing you you had to follow that practice, and we know there's even some contention. We read that in Acts, some discussion back and forth in Jerusalem about what they should do, and especially with the Gentiles now uh, receiving the word. So uh, we see that it was it was not a requirement. These things were not requirements for salvation. It was the requirement is accepting Christ in your heart believing in the work on the cross and giving all to him. <clears throat> and in verse 11, it talks about, um, then Paul says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I, I want to focus now this shift that Paul has in his writing. He's giving Timothy some advice, and now he kind of shifts to, this is how I see things. This is how the Lord impacted my life. And uh, it's amazing to, to see the mindset that he has. Um, talking about the glorious gospel, it says, which was committed to my trust. And if we realize that, how amazing the gospel is, and realize also that the Lord is trusting us with that message, with that responsibility to share it with others. You know, we read in Acts, and uh, I've probably preached here about it, the, the power of the name of Jesus, how they use the name of Jesus to heal um, Everything they did, they gave glory to Jesus. And it talks about there's no other name in heaven whereby we must be saved other than by Jesus Christ. And we have that same power, but it's such a great responsibility in sharing the gospel and in, uh, re even referencing the name of Jesus Christ. What a responsibility it is that we have and that, that we've been entrusted with that. And this is what Paul's writing here. has been committed to my trust and what a responsibility that is. And we can read in... Uh, where Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Starting with verse 16. 
says, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. What is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. His responsibility, woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. And we need to be thinking of that. How seriously do we take this role that we have to share the gospel, to spread the word, to share what Christ has done in our lives? And one example we have through Paul here in the attitude that he has. And we read in verse 12 of the first chapter of Timothy, it says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. It's thankful for that responsibility that he has. Thankful to Christ Jesus. And how seriously are we taking it? Are we thankful when we have opportunities to do work for the Lord? Or do we kind of cringe? Or do we say, oh, please, Lord, not today. Let, let me have some rest. Or don't make me go through this awkward situation with this person. Or uh, any kind of work that we may need to do. Or that we uh, may be laid against before us. Or any kind of sacrifice that we may need to make. Do we do that thankfully? Are we thankful that the Lord's putting that in front of us? And uh, somebody mentioned one time, just uh, they heard someone say how thankful they were to do the work for the Lord. And someone had asked them to clean the toilets and, the, and they were saying, what can I do? What can I do? And they said, well, the bathrooms need clean. They said, I would be honored, as they said, I would be honored to clean God's toilets, to do that work for the Lord, for the church. And, and even just thinking that, are there sometimes where even out, whatever we're doing our daily walk, do we feel like that's the, the kind of work we're being asked to do and we're just down about it? Are we joyful? Anything for the Lord, are we joyful to do it? Are we joyful to give up our, our time and whatever it might be? And, and we always have to come back to thinking, what did the Lord give up for us? And what should we be willing to do for him? He gave up everything, was on the cross, died on the cross, went through a humiliating uh, death for us, for our sins. So we need to keep that in our mindset and um, think of what the responsibilities are, what kind of weight do they carry, and um, do we take them seriously? And we look at, again, just what Paul, Paul shares here, a testimony of himself, saying how he's counted faithful, and think of where he came from. He says, verse 13, "...who I was before a blasphemer and a persecutor injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. I just want to reference some of the verses in Acts chapter 9 that uh, we see where Paul came from, what he went through as a reminder. Um, so bear with me as I just kind of summarize and read through some of these. So Acts 9, 1 and 2. And remember his name was Saul. It says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. He had permission to go drag people out of the churches, um, these followers of Christ. <clears throat> and that's where he was headed. He was on the road to Damascus to go do this. And uh, we know he had this, the bright light. Jesus Christ spoke to him. And uh, it says in verse 9, he was three days without sight and neither did eat nor drink. So he, he was humbled, just as we are in our conversion. We brought to that point where we realized we, we can't do anything on our own. We need Jesus Christ in our lives. And Paul was humbled in that way as well. 
or Saul, I should say, at this point. And then we read in verse 13 where this Ananias had been given a vision uh, from the Lord, and Ananias answered to the Lord, said, I have heard by many of this man Saul how much evil he hath done to the saints of Jerusalem, and here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias was called upon to go and to meet Saul and to kind of bring him under his wings. Uh, uh, it said, Go find one Saul Tarsus, for he behold, he prayeth, and I seen in a vision that this man Ananias will come in, put his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. So to go get him and hear Ananias thing, like, well, I've heard all about this guy. I, like, what do you mean he's going to do things for me, for Jesus? Right, and this is an encouragement for us that sometimes we might think this about some in our circles where we think like, I don't know if this person's ever going to come around. Right, I've, I've never been able to get them to come to church or they've been coming to church for years and just keep putting the word aside. They, they won't grasp onto the foot. They won't give up to Christ and accept his salvation. And sometimes we get frustrated with that. And we might think, I, I don't know, and, or, or knowing, like, you know, I remember I had a, a cousin growing up that went way to the wayside and was out on his own uh, for a few years, you know, moved out west, did his own thing, lived with his, lived with his buddies, got in a lot of trouble. Um, and you just think, sometimes you almost think, like, there's no hope. There's no way it's coming back. And uh, we just keep praying. This gives us hope that for anybody, even someone like Saul, that the Lord can continue to work in their heart. And when the Lord's timing, we'll continue to speak to them. And there is hope for everybody until their dying breath that they can accept Christ. And um, that cousin, the Lord humbled him as Saul was humbled here and came back home and baptized a believer and now is active in the church doing things and like every time still when I see him up in the front of the church or or doing something participating in something it's <clears throat> sorry I I just remember that conversation he had with me when he took me out to dinner one night and said I'm giving it up I'm giving it to Christ and it's just obviously I'm still blown away by that and seeing now what he's doing for his kids and uh, how the gospel continues to multiply because he was able to give up those things and accept Christ. And, <clears throat> and it's important that the church kept praying for him. And um, it's amazing to see the work that God can continue to do. So don't give up hope is, is how I take this, that anyone, even someone like Saul, as then we read in uh, verse 17 of Acts, it says, And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, <clears throat> that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes, as it had been scales, that he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. Saul received the Holy Ghost and was baptized. It's an amazing testimony to the work of the Lord. And straightway, verse 20, he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. 
He continued on testifying, and we know the work that Saul, which then changed his name to Paul, the work that was done in his life, and how many thousands and thousands and thousands, and we could say millions, because we are still affected today by the work, the writings, the teachings that Paul did, and how the gospel spread. So it's amazing to think about that. And here, even Paul's writing, kind of how he's amazed, that it says, um, but I obtained mercy because of all these things that he did not unbelief that he had done, didn't know Christ, but he had the opportunity that he obtained mercy, he was forgiven. And in verse 14, he explains, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> and we read in verse 15 why, why this all happened. This faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus, why did Christ come? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he says, of whom I am chief. And we just read how, how, uh, how much of a sinner he was and the things that he had done. And he recognizes that. I was the chiefest sinner. And I'm the reason, I'm one of those reasons why Christ came to this earth. I'm one of the reasons why Christ went through everything he did and shed his blood on the cross. And we have to recognize that all of us as well, we are the reason that Christ came to die so that we could have life. He gave up all, shed his blood as the perfect sacrifice so that we could all have life. And in verse 16, it explains why Saul was the one that was chosen. How be it for this cause, I, for this reason, I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ may show forth all long suffering, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Why was he chosen? So that he could show an example to others that more Saul's could be chosen to be saved. Look at how much his life changed, what a, a change he had and how much work was done through him. To show an example, and we look at the, some of the apostles, disciples that were chosen, Matthew, the tax collector, that was chosen, the work that was done, as we're even reading the things this morning that he wrote down. And, uh, you know, different, different people that had struggles and how much work they could do for the Lord. You know, the apostles were plain, simple men, and it shows that they could be used, and as many of us are plain and simple, how much work could be done by us if we submit to the Lord. So if we have to recognize if God could use Paul or Saul, why not us? Why not you? Why not me? If he could change his life that much, we have to recognize that he can change any heart and then use that heart for his service. <clears throat> and, and wrapping up here in verse 17, as Paul always does, he gives honor to God. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And that's a reminder to us to always give glory to God in all things, to recognize him, to share with others where we lift God up to. So just in closing, um, to the unbeliever or those that have not committed their life to Christ, you know, might you recognize it, it doesn't matter what your past is, where you came from, who your family was or wasn't. You know, and you recognize, we recognize here when we're in, in God's family, in a church family, this is our, our true family based on the truth. And it uh, doesn't matter who you came from. didn't matter who Saul had come from, where he had been, what sins he had done in the past, what life he had lived, how long it took him to get there. It's amazing to read that Christ offers forgiveness to all through his shed blood. We read in uh, Romans 5.8, just like the law isn't applied you know, to the righteous, 
Christ didn't die specific for the righteous, for the good, for those that loved him. It says, for when, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous or a good man will one die, or sorry, scarcely for a righteous man will uh, one die, yet peradventure for a good man, some would maybe consider even dare to die, but God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, the hardest person it would be to die for, to lay our life down for it. That's who Jesus died for and the love that he has for us. And to the believer, it might be encouragement to us as well through this text to not ever give up on anyone. That we realize, keep praying. Um, not assume that somebody isn't good enough or will never come around. Just keep praying. Keep sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, always, in all things, as Paul did here, it continues to exemplify, give all honor and glory to God. May the Lord add his blessing.